The Utmost Island, Chapter 15 Helga's father, old Jatmund Jatmundson, had been congratulating himself for seven years on having got a husband for his unexciting daughter. Therefore, when the Sea King sailed without her, amid rumors he was never coming back, Jatmund gloomily faced the prospect of having to do it all over again. This time, it would be a much harder task. Those same seven years had made her that much older and had given her a son to prove it. Jatmund was not rich, could endow her with little, and even desirable daughters were costly things to get rid of. The Sea King had not haggled over her lack of dowry, but he was an odd, moonstruck man. Where could they ever find such another? When she arrived at her father's house with Eric, she got no welcome. If your husband wants you and your son, Jatman shouted in her face, why stop him? He does not want me, he only wants Eric. Couldn't you make a bargain with him to take both? Helga replied meekly that she was only following Theobrand's advice. Her father growled that Theobrand should stick to his beads. Her three brothers, who had their own futures to think about, echoed the growl. That made her fly to Theobrand's defense with more spirit than they'd ever known her to show about anything. Theobrand, she said, was a man who knew more than other men. Theobrand, she said, had the kind of knowledge that came from God which no heathen could understand. Theobrand, she said, at the third mention of Theobrand, Helga's father began to see a little hope. At the fourth, her brothers, who were not so quick-witted as their father, began to see it too. At the fifth, father and brothers looked at one another to see whether they all had the same idea, and at the sixth, Jatmund began to ask her a number of questions. She answered some, indignantly refused to answer others, wept at some, and finally took the high religious stand that the whole thing was God's business alone. When Jatmund had found out from her all he needed to know, he said, On second thought, this priest of yours has given you good advice. Remain here. Your brothers and I are going to visit him. He told his sons to get the horses ready. Helga immediately feared that they meant some harm to Theobrand and wanted to go with them to prevent it. Jatmund assured her that there was very little chance of anything violent happening. She did not believe him and was ready to fight. They'd never seen her like this, and finally he spoke to her severely. You should be grateful that we are still willing to trouble ourselves about you. Throughout your whole life you've been a great trial, because you are a girl in the first place, and older than your three brothers in the second. The only thing you have in your favor is that you are lucky. When most girls, 
find it none too easy to get a husband, it seems you have a chance to have two. Now, if you interfere while we try to take advantage of this great luck of yours, I will give you such a beating that there will be no man at all who will find you pleasant to look at. Not even this woman-starved monk out of a cave. When Helga thus learned that her father was only looking out for her welfare, she agreed to do as he asked and offered to help in any way she could. Jatman praised her then for being a dutiful daughter and gave her certain instructions, impressing upon her that she was to carry them out exactly as he said, and on no account to use her own judgment. After that, she was to follow him to her own house. He kissed her, shook his head in a baffled sort of way, as if her shortcomings were her fault and not his. Then he and his three sons mounted their horses and set out to visit Theobrand. On the way there, her eldest brother, Gorm, asked, Why is our sister so lucky? Because she is a fool, Jadmund answered. Fools have to be lucky to live. Her brother Rolf took a gloomy view. She's had her luck. Why should it continue? Their father replied with an old proverb. When Odin wants to, he takes his bow and arrows and shoots at a broom. Whatever she may be, said Brother Hlod, who was the practical one, I'm not sure this Theobrand is a fool. Neither is it sure, responded Jatmund, that he is lucky. For Theobrand to have been really lucky, he would have had to live a century or two later, when his church adopted a policy of celibacy for its servants. But the church was then only beginning to wonder whether a priest could love God and women too, and rather thought he could. A priest might even marry if he liked. It was at that moment in the history of theological theorizing that Theobrand saw Helga's father and three brothers riding towards him. He had just ordered the thralls to bury the bonder they had killed in the attempted rescue of Eric in an unmarked grave since he was a heathen. At first he thought the news of the fight had somehow reached Jatman's farm, and they were coming to help, but the leisurely, deliberate way they trotted their horses showed that it was not so. They dismounted, gave him a curiously sober greeting, and asked whether they might have a word with him. He invited them into the house and beer brought to them. Claude raised his drinking horn in Theobrand's direction. May you have a long life, he said. Thank you, Theobrand replied dubiously. The toast was a friendly one as far as its words went, but its tone somehow suggested that there was the possibility of a short life, too. We have set our hearts, Jatman began abruptly, on being the first Iceland family to be baptized. My heart rejoices at your zeal. It is Helga who has made us see the light. Instantly, the father and three sons all began talking about Helga, very earnestly and very eagerly, hardly waiting for one another to finish. Helga had told them, they said, 
of the joy this Christianity would bring them. They valued her opinions. She had always been so clear-sighted, and so high-minded, and so unselfish, thinking only of others' good. A saint, said Gorm. Theobrand was a bit startled by that. She might have told all that had passed between them because she was such a... because she was so gleeless. On they went, praising Helga, as if they never meant to speak of anything else. She had a fine character, so unswerving, loyal to those who she loved, an excellent housekeeper, modest, quiet, and beautiful too when you stop and think of it, in a very unusual way but unfortunately lacking one thing, said her father. A Christian husband. After that, it was impossible for Theobrand any longer to avoid knowing what they meant, especially as they all stopped speaking at that point and waited for him to reply. It was not entirely a surprise. He had already, once or twice, imagined himself her husband, through envy of the man who was. He merely had never thought it would come to that. Well, now it had. Helga's face suddenly got inside his head, and the rest of her joined it. His blood drained downward, carrying his mind with it. He opened his mouth to give the answer they wanted, but it was his male sense of self-protection which spoke instead, as if it had been thinking independently of him. It's a great pity, he found himself saying, that her husband is a heathen. But he is her husband, and what is done is done. I do not think he's coming back, said Jackland. No? asked the priest, as if he thought otherwise. No. That is why she may as well divorce him. I have told her to get three witnesses and come here. Witnesses? asked the priest tremulously, feeling this somehow concerned him. You will want to know something of our laws, said Jatman. Allow me to explain this one. A wife divorces her husband by denouncing him three times before at least three witnesses. The first time is in bed, the second on the threshold, and the third at the thing. Since the thing is only three days away, we are attending to the bed and threshold at once. Then they sat back as if the explanation had settled everything, which it had, and waited for Helga and her witnesses, meanwhile drinking beer and uttering the toast, God save King Olaf! Jatman's three sons silently toasted their father for his skill and speed. With each swallow, Theobrand drank in more of the idea that he was to be married soon, though he had yet to fully realize he was to be married at all. Those were two big facts to absorb so suddenly, and a great deal of the Sea King's beer was needed to wash them down. Helga and beer were a persuasive combination. The prospect began to seem agreeable, though unexpected. A certain dignity added itself to his desire, 
Before this, his imaginings had been lustful. Now he saw himself walking through a town with Helga's hand upon his arm, her light step beside his strong, sedate one, respected, deferred to, a leader of the social order with his wife. When Helga arrived with her witnesses, they went immediately about the business of the divorce. She linked her arm with Theobrand's, as if for courage and protection, and together they led the way from room to room, making it seem that Theobrand was in charge and it was all being done to benefit him. The three witnesses beamed on the pair, with the peculiar conspiratorial smile used towards those about to be married and for whom no escape is possible. They went first to the bedroom. There, Helga turned towards all of them and said, My husband has treated me very cruelly. I say to you that I wish no longer to be his wife. Then she got into bed and pulled the cover up to her chin. I ask you to witness, she said, that my husband is not in this bed with me. The others indicated that they observed this. Then all went together to the front door. Helga stood exactly on the threshold and said, This is the house in which we have lived as man and wife. I ask you to witness that now I come and go alone. With that, she stepped outside and then back in, and again they all gestured that they observed what she spoke of. Now there remains only the consent of those at the thing, said her father, almost jubilantly, and turned to the priest. There will be no question about their giving it, especially if you support her plea. Then everyone had a final horn full of beer with a toast to the health of the three witnesses, after which Helga thanked them for their help and they left, promising to help her present her case at the thing. Her three brothers also left, each of them pausing to shake hands with Theobrand in the special, impressive way that hands are shaken to acknowledge a bargain, though in this case no bargain had been mentioned. Then Theobrand turned to her father, thinking and hoping that he would leave too, for by this time he was tingling to be alone with Helga. But Jatmund did not leave, and it soon became clear he did not mean to. He said so. He was going to live here for the next three days and nights, he said, until after the thing. He stated it with candor and even a kind of hearty cooperation as something of which Theobrand would approve. Helga's good name may get into people's mouths, he said, so you and I must keep it tasting sweet. Theobrand had to agree with this fine sentiment, thereby setting his blood to boil for three days more, which was the guarantee the old man wanted that his daughter would be married, or as they used to say, married off. Theobrand hoped Helga would elude her father during the night and come to him, but she didn't. Not that she didn't want to. But in those days, wrongly called the Dark Ages, a woman learned to be both warm and cold at the same time in self-protection. He spent the night wanting her, and the next two nights as well. He could not sleep. He listened at his door, thinking that every sound was her footstep. 
Life in his cave had been an almost exact reverse of this. Women often had come to him there for counsel, while Satan whispered temptations from the crevices in the rock. But Theobrand had no confidence in himself then, and was always afraid of being rebuffed. So he made himself want heaven instead, and prayed that he would get it. Now there was no such need to transfer his desires. He still prayed, not to be delivered from temptation, but that he possess her soon, very soon, now. He went past this stage of recognizing that his long asceticism had lent her an unnatural allure. She had blue eyes, yellow hair, and a submissive look. So had many other women all over Northern Europe. The difference between her and them was that she was the one he was going to get. He passed the three days more easily than the three nights. He spent the first two walking about the farm and its various buildings, imagining himself already the head of the household, planning how he would change this and that, and scorning his predecessor who had failed to make such obvious improvements. His excitement took him around the grounds rapidly, and he returned full of enthusiasm, thinking he'd achieved a great deal when he'd merely been walking very fast. Eric was a flaw in his enjoyment. They had lied to him to get him away from the ship, telling him his father was not sailing to the Orkneys after all and was coming right back to the house. Now he asked questions about it, and the deception had to be continued and new lies invented as the hours passed. Theobrand did his best to make Eric like him, with the idea that it would please Helga, but it was a strain because he could not make himself like Eric. Eric was the legal heir to the estate, divorce or not, and he looked like his father. On the third day, Helga's brothers called for them and they all walked together to the thing which was held not far from where they lived. Eric was brought along to see the gaily colored booths and the interesting things that were for sale, though he was not expected to understand the issues that we discussed. He was beginning to understand more than they suspected, but he had a child's reluctance to embarrass his elders by showing he saw through their deception. Once he asked his grandfather, with startling abruptness, whether his father was really coming back, and was told to be quiet and enjoy the sights. He did not ask the question again of anyone. Helga's father suggested to Theobrand that they let the others walk on ahead so that they too could have a chance to go into certain matters. This was done, and as they continued on their way in two little groups, Theobrand watched Helga, and her father watched him watching her, and decided this was the ideal moment to get an agreement about her dowry. Helga's brothers, who knew what the maneuver was for, whispered to one another that their father would cook a fine dish over Theobrand's heat, and so he did. For though he had little to offer, he managed to make that little sound big. He had only two articles of value, outside of Helga herself, with which to pay Theobrand for taking her off his hands. 
These were a quarter of her father's farm, the other three quarters being kept for her brothers, and the guardianship of Eric, with which would go the management of Eric's estate. If he has brothers or sisters, commented the old bargainer, he will of course want to share everything with them. And she will bear children. You may depend on it. She is as fruitful as her mother, who had four, as you see. With a husband she really loves, he broke off with a lewd wink, and at that moment Helga turned and looked back at Theobrand with her blue eyes. There being no further need to stay divided, the two groups rejoined. Helga clung to Theobrand's arm, while her father and brothers seemed somehow to be keeping them surrounded, as if afraid Theobrand would escape in the crowd. Helga bought a belt for Theobrand and presented it to him shyly. He bought a pin for her hair, feeling both pleased with himself and foolish. He also bought a game of drafts for Eric. Then Helga said, This is your new father, Eric. You must love him. Theobrand twitched uncomfortably, but Eric gave no sign of being affected. The thing was held on a plane, large enough for the great throng that was expected. It was near the harbor, for the sake of those who came by ship. These preparations proved warranted, for the thing was the largest ever held in Iceland. Men were there from every part, and many more women than usually attended. It was evident that the importance of the meeting was understood. All seemed to feel perhaps because it was exactly the year 1000, that an era of history was ending precisely then, and another beginning. Wooden statues of the old gods were there, greased and gleaming for the occasion, but mostly for old time's sake. Their regime had really ended some time ago, when it was first suspected that their usefulness was gone. Only a formal vote was lacking to make them part of a fading past, remembered as empty images without the spark that was once thought to be in them. Everyone felt a certain pleasure in going through the old motions and rituals, as in enjoying for the last time the company of departing friends. Some were less sentimental about it. A scald sang a vengeful little song in an undertone to a group of his friends, telling how Odin and his fellow gods were at that moment trembling in Valhall, hoping, as piteously as they'd ever let men hope, that the unexpected would save them, and knowing all the time that nothing could. A few smiled cynically at this, but a few others shuddered, not having quite got over their old fears. Presently, the leading bonders selected one of their number to be chief of the thing, and it was declared open. There was a question whether they should begin, as they always had, with a prayer to Odin for guidance. Many were in favor of omitting it, especially with Theobrand present. Legal hair-splitting was a popular pastime, and here was a chance to indulge in it. It was maintained that since the gods had not yet actually been deposed by vote, the laws which derived from them were still in force, and unless those were lived up to, nothing done here would be binding. 
So Odin and Thor and their kin were allowed to preside this one last time in order to let themselves be slain. So pray to Odin they did, with sidelong looks of apology to Theobrand and a shrug of the shoulders as though to say, one more won't matter. A turmoil was in the minds of these people who were thus praying while they changed faiths. Some prayed to a god in whom they no longer believed. Some prayed for the last time to a god in whom they did believe. And some, only half sure, one way or the other, prayed so as to be safe. But, as Theobrand had often said, great is the power of prayer. For whatever mixed reasons they prayed, when it was all done, they were united in a vague, solemn feeling that they were all in this together now and had better get it settled. Smaller matters were always disposed of at the beginning. The fate of the gods waited until the thing decided land disputes and declared certain wrongdoers to be outlaws. Late in the day came Helga's final appeal for divorce. She spoke up bravely before all these people, accusing her husband of cruelty, neglect, and desertion. Theobrand watched Eric while his father was thus spoken of, but the boy gave no sign of understanding the matter under discussion, nor showed whether it disturbed him. But then Eric had seen Theobrand turn toward him, and he may have been on his guard, so there was no way of making sure. Helga brought forward her three witnesses, who told how she had complied with the first two steps of the suit, and urged that the thing complete the action with its approval. There was a little adverse mumbling here and there, because some men felt that the Sea King should be given more time. They did not know with absolute certainty, they said, that he was not coming back. Furthermore, it was bad to let wives think they could get free the instant their husbands sailed. Then Helga's father and brothers indicated to Theobrand that it was time for him to speak in her behalf, and they moved toward him a little, as if to press him in in case he should refuse. He did not refuse. He spoke eloquently. His words were all that were needed to make them decide as Helga wished for the desire to do him a visible favor was so great that men were shouting approval before he finished speaking. Helga was so moved by the success of his oratory that she threw her arms about his neck and kissed him with everyone looking on. After that, the thing moved on to its main subject, and then Odin's fate was settled as definitely as Theobrand's. Two laws were quickly passed, both of them realistic and to the point. The first law stated, The Asa Creed shall be unlawful if any man is found praying before idols, or asking help of trolls, or eating horse flesh at Yuletide, or wishing beside magic wells, or beside magic stones, or inside graves, he shall pay a fine of two ounces of gold. The second law, which was proposed by Theobrand, said, The worship of Christ shall be the only faith practiced in Iceland. 
Christian priests shall have all the rights formerly held by the Godi or Hersir, and shall be allowed to charge the same fees as were formerly charged by them. Both laws were passed without dissent and with scarcely any discussion. It took only a few minutes for the land to change its entire system of thought, or rather, to record the fact that it had been changing for some time and now needed to be officially recognized. Those present were a little shocked to find how fast they'd got rid of what they thought they had so long believed. The thing broke up after that, and Theobrand received many congratulations, some of them on the victory of Christ and some on his own imminent marriage, so that the two were somehow identified. All the good wishes evoked a great elation in him, which stifled a weaker feeling that he was committing an act of folly. It was night by now, and they went to Jatman's house for the feast and the wedding. The ceremony was very simple, what you might call a civil marriage. First, Helga's father restated the terms of the dowry before witnesses, and Theobrand said, I agree to the terms of this dowry. Then he placed a gold coin in Jatman's hand and said, For this money, paid into your hand, I buy this woman from you. That was all. They were man and wife now. The feast was a modest one, with only a few friends present. Neither did it last into the late hours of the night, for Jatman did not have the heart to keep Theobrand lusting any longer. The pair was permitted to drive away to Helga's house, amid shouted wishes that they would have many children. Eric was among those who stood at the doorway to see them depart. He stayed at his grandfather's house for the night, and he knew why. He was a little farm boy, and he knew all about mating. When they reached their home, Theobrand and Helga embraced and kissed ardently at the threshold, then he carried her to their bedroom. When they got there, Helga found it a strange and exciting experience to see a man of God disrobe. He found it just as strange, though a trifle unnerving, to follow her into the Sea King's bed. Support comes from the History's Trainwrecks podcast that focuses on stories like a temper tantrum that changed history, the president who promised not to run again and regretted it for the rest of his life, the World War II general who lost his pants on a secret mission in enemy territory. The History's Trainwrecks podcast, available now. I'd like to talk to you about another podcast. Have you ever wanted to visit a real-life Jurassic Park? What would you do if aliens invaded, or there was a zombie apocalypse? What is the best thing since sliced bread? Tune into the podcast Just Forget About It, an ongoing conversation about random scenarios just like these. You can find Just Forget About It pretty much everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple, Google, Castro, Overcast, and Spotify. Thanks for listening. Good night. (music) 